Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and thank you for following us on Twitter. I am at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at The Rugby Dungeon, and, of course, there's the world's biggest rugby podcast, The Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, out every Monday without fail, and at the moment, out every Monday and every Wednesday because of the internationals. So look out for that. If that isn't enough rugby for you, there's also the Thistle Rugby Podcast, which is Matt, Alan, and Dave, all things Scottish rugby, great guys, give give them a listen too. Now you might have noticed that last week we had a week off. Well, we weren't meant to have a week off. In fact, Jamal Ford Robinson called in. And I can confirm that A, Jamal is a very nice man. B, an incredibly good, good, good interview. And C, you would have all enjoyed it. Problem is, you're never going to hear it because I forgot to press record. Hence, I have a bit of an impromptu week off and you will never hear that. So, Jamal will be calling in again soon. We'll get that out to you ASAMP. Today's guest is Paul Williams. You'll know Paul from his work on Scrum 5, Rugby World Mag and BBC Wales. Uh, We look a bit at the Welsh team and then we get into some Pro 12 stuff. Good guy, good good interview. Hope you enjoy it. I'm now delighted to be joined by a man who has the same name as one of Sale's great players. I didn't even realise that until I googled him. It's Mr Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well, thanks. I've just spent the last 30 minutes watching highlights of your namesake, so great way to prepare for the interview when I should have been, uh, when I should have been researching. Nice. Yeah, there, I've got lots of namesakes. Sadly, my rugby playing ability doesn't live up to any of them. Yeah, I've got no namesakes, and I think my, my rugby ability might <laughs> might end up li- living up to yours, actually. So, um, what have you been up to today, then, Paul? Today, it's mostly been sort of Six Nations preparation. Mm. Um, been looking at, you know, the Welsh squad's obviously been named today. I think a bit of Wales have made quite a bold call, putting Faletau on the bench. Hasn't played an awful lot of rugby this season. Hasn't been fit, played on the weekend for Bath. And I think you, you couldn't really drop Ross Moriarty, no. even though he was substituted in the last game. I think everyone, even the Welsh setup, if you caught them on, you know, off uh, record, would admit that it was a mistake bringing Ross Moriarty off. So that's quite an interesting decision. And I think, but the biggest plus for Wales is that Luke Charteris is back. That is huge, isn't it? It's huge, quite lit- figuratively and physically. I mean, at six foot nine. He is, he's one of the only players in the world, really, who can stop a mall on his own. I mean, his levers, his arms are so long that he can virtually grab um, any of the ball carriers when they drop from the line out. 
he can grab them, engage them, mm. which means you know, they have to move the ball quite regularly. And he, he he's a one uh, one man mall sort of wrecking machine. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, Luke Charles, isn't he? Because for the first, I don't know, what four years of his career, I mean, people forget how long he's been around. I think he made his debut for Newport about eighteen. But for the first four years of his career, he wasn't really up to much. In fact, not until relatively late on did he really start to do well. Yeah, indeed. I think the trouble is when you're six foot nine, you need to pack on quite a lot of weight. Yeah. Uh, and I think when he when Luke started out, he was you know he's reasonably slight frame. Even though I mean, if you stand next to him, he's enormous. Yeah. I mean, bet. his shoulders are frightening, and he is the width of a door. <laughs> um, and, but it, you know it takes it takes a long time to pack weight onto that sort of frame. I think it took him a good four or five seasons. I think people were a little bit worried that he may be the next sort of Darwin Jones of his generation. You know, six mm. foot ten and good in the line out, but limited in in other aspects. And that hasn't been the case for Luke Charteris. He's been a fantastic player. He's playing well now for Bath when he you know in the games he has featured in. He had, a, he had a reasonably good career out in France, and he and he's invaluable for the for the Welsh squad. He's almost like an impact lock. Yeah, there's such a thing. Yeah, well, um, which you, you don't tend to get, but he is one of those players. He's an impact lock. Yeah, I tend to think the penny dropped with him when he just realised, as I think a lot of locks have now, you've just got to work really hard because out of nowhere, his ta- like his tackle statistics went up, uh, the amount of rucks that he hit went up, and then he became a real key part to what Wales, what, what Wales were trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it was to do with when Warren Gatlin uh, became the Welsh coach. I think he, he he sort of rallied around Luke Charteris and he realised how important he could be. A with you know just his platform works fantastic in the lineout and with Wales unusually they they tend not to use him as a jumper as obviously as some other nations use their tallest jumpers. They quite often use him as a decoy or to, to lift uh, lighter back row jumpers like uh, Justin Tipperick, for instance. Yeah. I... Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, he's, like you say, his work rate's increased massively over the last three seasons at least. I can think of at least two or three games where he's been sort of 19, 20 tackles. Uh, just... And that's a big number for second row. Absolutely. Just going back to um, what you opened up with, the Welsh back row. Uh, I mean, I think there's a real conundrum here. I think not many nations have four back row who were this good but on the other hand I don't I can't see a natural three which come out of that four because they all do such different things what, what's your view on it yeah I don't think there is a natural three now I think with the way that Rob Howley wants to play the game it worked perfectly with Warren Gatland you had Dan Libya Dan Libya who was an out and out uh, tackler you know 16 17 18 tackles that doesn't carry the ball at all um, he dropped the player, Sam Warburton would then park over Jackal, and that worked very well. And then Toby Falato was an out-and-out number eight. I don't think that's going to work now with Rob Howley because they want to try this more expansive game. It's, it's a move away from a pure back row, which is not, you know, Warren Gatlin's back rows are almost like something from the NFL. Yes. You, know, you had very specialist players. You had a six who just tackled, a seven who just jackled, and then an eight who was a, an out-and-out eight. But I don't think that works now. I don't think the game's like that anymore. No. Even if you just look at Sam Warburton's performances the last three or four weeks in particular and for Cardiff Blues, he's carrying a lot more. Um, his distribution is increased. He's passing a lot more, and it, and I think it's a nice role for him to fit into. And it's one that Wales have got to become comfortable with, mm. because you, you you know if you're going to pick a back row of Falato and Tipperick and Warburton, then 
that that could be a ball handle. That could be almost a sort of New Zealand style back row, sort of Kieran Reid, Kano, that sort of that sort of mould. So yeah, it's an interesting. Like you say, there isn't a six seven that you can pick now. Justin Tipbrick is good over the ball, but not as good as Warburton at Test level. Mm. And that that's an issue. And if they, I think the just pick. I think the picking of Justin Tipperick is a key indicator of what Rob Howley wants to do. If he's picking Tipperick and Scott Williams at twelve, he's changing the way that Rob uh, that uh, Warren Gatlin used to play. Warren Gatlin would never have played Tipperick no, at seven, well, and he wouldn't have played. And he wouldn't have played Scott Williams at twelve. Uh, what was the um, what was the Gatlin comment, which is kind of like damning with faint praise? Uh, Tipperick's very good at good in those wide channels. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the sort of the Jamie He's lip compliment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you, you know, you're quite good at being a giant big outside centre in the last 10 minutes of the game, which is, you know, and, and, and there is a lot to be said for that. You know, Scott Higginbottom down in Australia, there's another player who tends to sit out wide. and it, There is a role for those players. But I, I just think now that the, the way that Wales are trying to play, they've got a ball player at 12, they're trying to bring introduce Sam Davis, and I think you can see just the, the effect it's had on Dan Bigger's game. Yeah, how much his his performance improved, um, and I think now they're off. I think very very important thing that's worth mentioning about the Welsh squad actually is that they all need to be given a chance now, play in a different way. Even Jamie Roberts, right, who was you know the very bedrock of Warren Gatlin sort of Warren ball or cement ball as it's rudely called in Wales in some quarters <laughs> um you know even Jamie Roberts needs to be given a chance to play and to pass you know a lot of the the key performance indicators that these guys had under Warren Gatlin it wasn't about passing the ball it wasn't about distributing it was about making carries and being fitter and faster and bigger and i think that particularly Jamie Roberts, needs to be given a chance to play in that new style. George North, similarly. And, you know, believe it or not, even Alex Cuthbert. Because Alex Cuthbert, when he started out his career, he wasn't a contact player. You know, he started out no, in sevens. That's fair, yeah. He's fast. Right, and, it, you know, Cuthbert's natural game was to look for an outside break, give you one big fend, and then go on a sort of 40-metre run. And that was bred out of him in the Welsh squad. It yeah. was all about hitting contact. You've got to hit that contact. And, you know, with the best will in the world, you don't pick wingers because they can clean out rucks particularly well. <laughs> but, yeah, under, but under Warren Gatlin, that mattered because everyone knew Jamie Roberts was going to carry straight over the 12 channel. Everyone knew that the next carry was going to be just outside the 13. So Cuthbert and North, they spend an awful lot of time clearing rucks. And that isn't how New Zealand coach, you know... Uh, Naholo isn't picked because he can clean out rugs. <laughs> no. Right, Naholo's picked because he can carve you up in the blink of an eye. And it's the same as Ben Smith and the same as any of these Kiwis. You know, you look at uh, Ney Milner Scudder, that mm. guy's not picked for, you know, contact or strength or what he can bench. That guy's picked, he's back in Super Rugby this season. That guy's picked because he can quite literally pick you apart in about 30 seconds. Uh, tell me this then do you think there's a genuine difference between what Rob Howley believes and how he plays the game and how Gatland plays the game yes I do I really do Uh, and you can see you can see it already just in the first it's been a quite a difficult period for the Welsh squad actually Um, and you almost need to, to look back 12 months to understand the transition most teams after the World Cup 
ripped up bits and bobs, got a new coaching and did things very differently. Wales didn't have that option. And then they also had the added complication of going to New Zealand on a three-test tour, mm. which you don't really want to be tweaking stuff going down to face those guys. No, you don't. So, Right, so that wasn't the time to be tinkering and thinking about Keelan Giles and Scott Williams and, these, and Sam Davis. That, that wasn't the time for that. So Wales, weirdly, are about eight months behind everyone else in this in their cycle. Yeah, so it's... this is the point now where Wales are changing. And you can see it. And, and it, you know, you really can. Just the, the very very nature of picking Scott Williams at 12, that's a, key, that's a key indicator that he wants to, you know, play a wider game. And I think from this point on, we'll see whether or not, you know, he wants to pick the, the likes of Ashley Beck, for instance, who are play, playing at the Ospreys. He's making the game look so easy at the moment. Just a, you know, a nice distributor. He's got a step. He can do most things, and he'd be one of those players that you wouldn't pick purely because he can smash a, a back row forward six times in a row. Now, for some of our English listeners who don't watch much Pro Twelve, just just describe Scott Williams and the sort of stuff that he does for a team. Yeah, so Scott Williams is a very different player to Jamie Roberts. So Jamie Roberts, in the way that he's been playing for Wales, is a very sort of uh, one-dimensional player, really, just about getting over the game line, very straight, um, runs into contact. It's, it's an attritional game plan. You're essentially, it's like the old NFL play called Smash Mouth, yeah. where it's just run directly into someone so many times that the 10th time you do it, they just don't want to know. Scott Williams is a very different player. And then switch into a basketball analogy. I don't know what I'm doing with all these analogies. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a triple threat player. So Scott Williams can kick, pass, and step. Yeah. So it's very difficult to defend Scott Williams. It's difficult to defend Jamie Roberts. But if you're brave and you can suck it up and stomach it, you can defend Jamie Roberts because you just have to stand there and get hurt, basically, for, for 72 minutes. He's not going to step you. He's not going to throw a miss two, And he's not going to chip the ball past you. Whereas Scott Williams is very different. I think we saw that even though Wales lost that, the try where Liam Williams ran a lovely line for the, through the Welsh back line and under the post. That was, that was all because of Scott Williams, because Owen Farrell didn't really know what Scott Williams was going to do. Mm. So it held Owen Farrell in the 12th channel, because he could have stepped, he could have kicked, he could have passed, or he could, you know, Scott Williams, I'm making it sound like he's a sort of anorexic midget. He's not. Scott <laughs> Williams is like, you know, sort of 6-1. Apparently he's incredibly strong as well. Score incredibly strong but he just gives you these options and these triple threat players that's what you need if you know what's coming it's really easy to defend as long as you're brave yeah and fit enough if you don't know what's coming that's when the problem starts well well tell me about this then do you think that scott williams becomes more important when you go with dan bigger because i've also got another theory that if you're going to play davis you might well need a player that plays flatter such as uh, Jamie Roberts to compliment him. Yeah, and you know there is an argument for that. If you're going to play Sam Davis, when things go wrong in the ten twelve channel, you do need almost you know a, a sort of rugby dustbin mm. where you can just say, right, you take that ball now and you sort that out, which Jamie Roberts could do perfectly well. But so could Scott Williams. Yeah. So um, I think you know I, I think the future of Welsh rugby over the next well, particularly over this World Cup cycle, is going to be whether they persist with Scott Williams at 12, which I think they will. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the basis on which everything else else will be built, I think. Well, we're talking about the future of Welsh rugby. There's two lads who we didn't talk about at the top of the show um, because we got 
uh, carried away into other things. But into that Welsh back row mix, do you think? Do you think we're ever going to see the likes of um, Ellis Jenkins making an impression on on the team? And what does Ollie Cracknell have to, have to offer? Yeah, I think Ollie Cracknell is probably. 12 months away from becoming a, a Welsh squad player. Mm. I think come, come the Lions tour next summer when Wales tour the uh, Pacific Island, I think he'll definitely be going on that tour. Um, and he'll be the next generation then. Maybe not this World Cup cycle, but the one after will be Ollie Cracknell's. Um, he's, he's a wonderful player. I watch him an awful lot of the Ospreys. He's a totally different six to Dan Lidiot, who's you know the, the incumbent six at the Ospreys. He's big, but he, he can do the tackling and all the basics, but he can also do an awful lot more, which is really important. Mm. Um, OK, well, probably without them, we'll lead on to what the Ospreys are doing. And probably more broader point, which is what the Welsh teams are doing this year. Uh, last year was miserable for Wales in the Pro 12. This year looks slightly better. What's your What's your assessment so so far? Yeah, I think, I think the... The Welsh teams are exactly where they deserve to be. The Newport Gwent Dragons are in turmoil in every aspect you can possibly imagine of rugby. Financially, their infrastructure in terms of the pitch. Oh. You know, there are three three teams sharing that pitch. Is is there? Um, um, who are the third? Because it's Newport County, isn't it? Them and... And Newport Rugby. Oh, the club plays there as well? Yeah, so there are three teams using, you know, which a, a grass field, which doesn't work, particularly yeah. in South Wales. No. Right, so that so that's a problem. Um, and and the squad, I mean, there are some good players in that squad. You know, you look at Hallam Amos, a good player. Um, right there, and they've got some like a little hardcore stalwart who deserve a little bit better players like Reinhard Landman, um, who's you know a, a, a good South African mm. lock. But they, I think they're where they they where they. Deserve to be really sort of down at the bottom with Zebra and Treviso. It's uh, it's quite a sad prospect, really, looking at the Dragons. It is a sad prospect. And then I think Cardiff Blues then have regenerated to the point where they're virtually top six. I don't think they're going to get there this season, but next season they will. Mm-hmm. I think they've had a, a history of bad squads over the last five seasons, bought an awful lot of players that they didn't need, bought an awful lot of backs that they didn't warrant when they needed some second rows and some tight head forwards. But I think that's going to change. And I think under Danny Wilson, you know, he's got a very shrewd recruitment policy, actually. Um, so I think they're, they're roughly where they need to be at the moment. Scarlets have moved up a level. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got a fantastic backline. If the, if the Scarlets had a tight fit, you know, that, that's probably a little bit harsh. The Scarlets have got a very good front row with Rob Evans at loose head, Samson Lee, They've got a fleet of good hookers. They're probably lacking at lock, and they're lacking a number eight, which they have been since David Lyons left. They haven't had an out-and-out number eight, a ball-carrying eight for a long, long time. Mm. So the Scarlets are moving on well, and the back line's fantastic. I mean, it's an international back line um, all the way. Mm. And then I think the Ospreys this season, who historically have always been the best region, and I think that's, that's been proven this season. They always recruit well. They run very well as an organisation. They're the best run region, I think, yeah, in I Wales. Um, and they're going to contend for the title this season. I think it'll be it'll be them or Munster. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think the Welsh regions are, are, are the Welsh regions. Pardon me, pardon me, are, are where they where they should be. And I think next season now, with more reinvestment, you've got to appreciate that the Welsh regions were run down so badly for about three or four seasons. I mean, the player drain was ridiculous. 
You know, mm. everyone was leaving to France. Everyone was off to the Aviva Premiership. That isn't the case now. They're able to retain. They were able to retain the three seasons ago, and it's only now that they're almost, you know, it's like a trout pull, right? They're almost, now is the time they're restocking and getting to that level where they can um, they can really compete in Europe. So the next two or three seasons will be important. Now, do you think it is important for teams such as the Blues or whoever it may be to go out and find people likely halfpenny and bring them back yeah i think it is i think that signings like lee halfpenny are twofold so one there's the playing side mm. and then there's the other side of showing that the regions are recovering so if you were able to recruit, recruit lee halfpenny that also shows you're very serious you know that if you have a squad full of journeyman pros you're probably only really going to attract a lot more journeyman pros yeah um, whereas if you 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 know you just look at Toulon, they've got you know stars littered throughout. But most squads, unless you the Saracens or Toulon or whoever it may be, you're lucky if you've got four to five marquee players. Mm. And Cardiff Blues at the moment haven't really got any marquee players other than Sam Warburton. Um, you know, they, they're lacking those marquee players. So I think in terms of recruitment, that's really important. I think if you look at the Scarlets this season, you know, you've got Scott Williams, Liam Williams, John Davis is playing there. They've got a, a team that you can build, not just rugby around, but also your marketing, your season tickets. You know, people want to go and watch the Scarlets because they've got a good, you know, they've got a squad full of good players. Same as the Ospreys. You've got Alamon Jones, Tipperick, Dan Bigger, Reese Webb. You know, you, you could have a scattering of British Lions throughout those squads. And it's important. Rugby isn't just about what happens on the field. You know, you've got to be. You know, you've got to be selling season tickets, and you need to be attracting that. corporate sponsors. So it's it's a big thing. So in that regard, I think the signing of Lee Halfpenny is very important for Cardiff Blues. See, I think um, I, I look at someone like Mike Phillips. Now, Mike Phillips has obviously gone to France, got his payday. He's now at Sale, and I watch him, and I think if Wales could have retained him, they probably would in one of the regions. But then, would we would we have had Reece, like Reese Webb? Would, uh, you know, Liam Williams have developed if, say, Lee Hall. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Penny was at Scarlet's, those sort of things. And I just wonder, maybe it should be sort of a natural pruning process where we say, actually, you've got so many caps now, off you go to the Aviva and let's get the next lot through. Well, and that's the balancing act. I mean, that's the the role that most people, which you've alluded to there, most people don't realise that's a big problem if you're a director of rugby. Mm. It's not just about picking stars. It's about maintaining that balance. 
And if you look at the Welsh region, uh, Welsh regions this season, in the centres in particular, that balance has been totally tipped the wrong way. So if you look at the Ospreys, they've got Kieran Fonatia starting at outside centre. The Blues have got Willis Halaholo mm. and Ray Lilo. So you've got an influx of foreign foreign um, imported centres. And now, if you look at development level, Wales are struggling for centres. Yeah. Where that, whereas that isn't the problem in the back row. I mean, we've got so many open side flankers, you don't, we don't even know what to do with them. <laughs> I mean, guys like Josh Navidi and James Davis and the, those sort of players, I mean, they're never going to become international no, players. And they, and they would be under a, under a different system. Mm. So that balance in Act right, is is very important, and particularly in Wales, where you've only got four regions. Mm. You've only got four clubs. You need to balance. You know, it's about, it's almost like pushing up a crossfader on a, on a mixing desk. You know, they've got to be perfectly tuned and at the moment the centre balance in Wales is uh, massively skewed the wrong way well, I guess if you take that to its logical conclusion the only thing to do is to move Tipperick to centre and then everything's solved isn't it well and that do you know <laughs> and do you know everyone says that but my and this is my this is my argument that obviously people say they're quite flippant but <laughs> yes. I always think that if you're looking at your open side flanker for creativity in your midfield you've got a problem with your centres you're probably right there well I, I think not uh, I think Scotland tried it with Richie, Ver- Richie Vernon, and uh, know, Richie Vernon did all right for his club, but uh, no, not 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 a serious proposition. Yeah. It's a different ball game. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, so Ospreys, then uh, you alluded to them being the most successful of the regions. I nearly called them a franchise, then, uh, but that's where I was kind of going next with the franchise talk. Now, this is the this is the toxic issue, I, I think, in Welsh regional rugby. Do you put any of their success down to the fact that they have scrapped the club identity and they're not a so-called super club? Or is this an argument put up by people who just don't like Cardiff and don't like Clarethley? Oh, do you know, it's such a complicated thing. I'll probably have a, a Welsh fatwa put on my head for even talking about this. I know, I, I try and avoid it. That's why I'm giving it to you. It is. And, I, and there is no easy answer. If there was, it would have been rolled out across the regions it, it that that easy answer doesn't exist i mean by their very nature creating the welsh regions was going to alienate at least half of your audience mm. for a gen for a generation but i don't think those um initial moves were made you know for the for the next sort of five to ten years of rugby those those decisions were made for the next 25 30 years of welsh rugby Hmm. Um, and I think we've just got to live with that now and stick with it. And yes, of course, there are people in Cardiff who don't want to be called the Blues who want to be called the Blues. There are people in Pontypridd who will not go anywhere near Cardiff yeah. Arms Park. Now, I don't know if this is but you're, but you're Sorry, not going to change that. Yeah, and I don't know if this is true, but apparently Gloucester have got a bit of a following in Pontypridd because they all nip over the bridge and go and watch them. That is that actually true? Um, I, 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 do you know I haven't heard that? I must be honest. Um, that's that's probably a bit of a sort of a bit of forum chat. Yeah, well, I mean, I... but yeah, but there, but it, there is a problem, and like you say, with Pontypridd, they are totally alienated. They do not follow Cardiff Blues, and they will not. Um, so I think you, you've almost just got to accept that and then move on from it. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a weird one because I only kind of, I mean, I've been doing a rugby podcast for about four years. I. I've always supported Wales. I've grown up in North Wales, and I had no idea that super clubs versus regions was even an issue. So I think it's one of those things which is very big in South Wales. But actually, for the, you know, for the wider audience, we, we have no idea that this that this is the sort of politicking that go, that, that that goes on. 
Well, exactly. And, you know, to use a, a football reference, it's almost like the move-in of Wimbledon to Milton Keynes. Yeah. But that happened to all of the regions, if you can understand. Mm. Um, so, you know, you all, you had half of the fans being disappointed, regardless of which teams mm. they were they were supporting. But it was the right thing to do, and I still think it is. You know, Wales isn't a big enough country to support more than four professional teams. We can't really support four. I yeah. think if we're all honest, the Newport Gwent Dragons are proof of that model that four can't exist. And it's not just in Wales. I think if occasionally in Wales we could be very myopic, but if you look even at Australia, Australia can't run four super teams. No, they oh, they've got five just, now, haven't they? It just doesn't work. Right, right. But they can't run four. Even mm. when they had four, it didn't work. You know, the Western Province and the Melbourne Rebels, they've always been cannon fodder. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just a thing that affects Wales, it affects South Africa. You know, they're one of the biggest playing populations, second biggest playing population in world rugby. And then you've got the Southern Kings, which are like a semi-pro, just thrown together franchise that get absolutely pasted yeah, every crazy, single week they play. It is so crazy. You know, it's not something that, that's um, exclusive to Let's put it that way. Mm. Uh, of interest, what do you think the optimum amount of teams in Wales should be? Three, maybe two? Three. Three. Uh, yeah, I really do. I think it, it, it's not even, you know, without even going into like geographic catchment areas, there's only enough money in Wales for three professional rugby teams. Yeah. Yeah. I... Um, you, you know, our, our wage cap now is at £4.5 million. If they could put that up to say nearly, you know, getting up towards six, which you could with three teams, then you're able to compete. Then you're at sort of uh, Aviva money. Yeah, because I th- I guess that will be the test, won't it? Can they attract back an Owen Williams? And actually, when you say it's four point, what we say four point five or four point six, the salary cap. Four five. Four sorry, four four point five. Um. So looking at Pro Twelve in general. Uh, I'm quite vocal about the Pro 12 on the other podcast, Egg Chasers, that it's got some tremendous teams and then it has some less tremendous teams, to put it politely. Um, let's just talk about the good teams for for a second. Um, do you think that Wales should go down the model of maybe a Glasgow or the, or the Irish provinces? And, and what is it about the regions which is preventing them from doing so? Why can't uh, Glasgow, uh, sorry, Cardiff turn into a, a miniature Glasgow, for instance. Well, they could do. I think the the big difference is, is ownership. Mm. Um, I think you know, when you look at the Irish model, they've got total control over the provinces, and that that's got its ups and its downs. So you lose a bit of commercial flexibility, but then you gain, um, you know, with sort of player control and rest periods and whatever it may be. But you know, I I don't think that's the big issue really with regards to the regions i think that the i think the actual the, the problem is purely it's just cash you know like most things in pro sport it's just cash and there isn't enough cash to go around and there would be and there would continue to be enough cash if there were only three pro teams and that's a very difficult conversation to have with certain people that's the one i think that should be made um, and I think that the new Pork Rank Dragons, you know, should almost become um, like a development team, as Connaught were. Mm-hmm. And just because you become a development team, it doesn't mean that you can't embrace and 
you know, look at Connacht, they've won the Pro 12. Exactly. So, the, uh, but I think I think that it, it requ- Welsh rugby requires a slight remodelling. And if that requires the Dragons to become um, like a sort of breeding ground for future Welsh talent, then I think that's the right way to go. And, and I also think that would be better for Newport Gwent Dragons fans. I mean, I go to watch rugby there quite regularly. Mm-hmm. And it's quite disheartening. And I'm not from Newport. But I would rather watch a team of 15 exciting youngsters with, say, three to four senior players holding that squad together than currently what they've got. That's yeah. that's my personal opinion. Um, would you be proposing removing Newport Gwent Dragons from the Pro 12 then? No, I don't think that is required. I think you just it's just a, an you know if if you've got this a, a pool for central funding, there's no reason why you can't centrally fund and pay for some of the younger players. So for instance, I mean the arguments for and against this are they're huge. You know, the Ospreys have got a fantastic youth system, so why should they then cough up players who could be centrally contracted and then put to the Newport Gwent Dragons? It's just a matter of whether, and I got in trouble on Twitter for saying it was self-interest. <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound quite that way. But, if you know, obviously, if you're an Osprey supporter, you want to keep all your players there regardless. And then if you have a wider, more holistic view of Welsh rugby... Mm. And it's a you know almost like a twenty year, twenty five year thing with plan about how we can all survive as a homogenous lump. Then it, there are there are different avenues, and one of those is having a development region at Newport. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do agree with you about them being a development re- region, but I don't agree with you that they should be in the Pro Twelve. I, I think the time has come just to cut uh, cut them adrift. And they should fulfil a similar role to RGC in North Wales. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of pride in our, um, uh, uh, in RGC, and it's a great way of de- de- developing players. Now, if that grows to be a fully-fledged region because there's private backers and more local support, great. But in the meantime, just, you know, you, like, like I say, use it as a, as, as a development ground. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the RGC thing is very interesting. Because they, I mean, they're developing a following with the under twenties, for instance. Yeah. So it's separate of RGC, but you know, playing a park IRAS, um, they sell out. Well, in they do hours those games, and so I think that's quite a clever thing they've done there. So they're building up um, a little catchment area of hardcore rugby following, and then you've also got you know Manchester and Liverpool and big English sort of metropolitan areas. Hmm which you can draw from. Um, you know, there are a lot of Welsh people living in Manchester and Liverpool and in that sort of area. And, you know, maybe that is a more attractive business model. I don't like talking about business models with rugby, but, you know, it's part and parcel of it these days. And maybe that is a more attractive place for a fourth region than somewhere that is, you know, eight miles from Cardiff and 40 miles from Swansea. Yeah, I mean... It- it is an interesting point that I mean, North Wales has been crying out for a professional sports team of some sort for a long time. So there's no professional professional football team there. Well, Wrexham, I guess. But everyone supports Manchester Wrexham. United or Liverpool, and they go up and down the A55 to watch them. Um, I tell you what, when yeah. when the Celtic uh, Crusaders, if you remember them, were playing rugby league, they played a little bit in yes, Re- do. in in Wrexham, and they overnight became one of the mo- uh, one of the best best attended Super League teams in Super League. 
which is very interesting. So there is an appetite yeah, for, for pro sport there. Whether it's going yeah. to be rugby union, I don't know. Yeah, and and you know also with a purely Welsh hat on, there's a bigger bigger issue with the disconnect between South and North Wales. I mean, they feel like totally different countries. Completely agree. Uh, you know, they're not connected. We haven't even got a motorway connecting them. Okay, you know, if you want to get from Cardiff up to Bangor. It takes about four. You could probably get to New Delhi quicker. <laughs> right? it, it's about it's about sixteen train connections. It's a nightmare. Yeah, it's mental. And it, isn't there's it? a bigger issue about connecting up Wales and rugby is one of those little bits, and I don't think that would harm. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, from uh, where I used to live in, I did know to go down to Cardiff, you have to go through Birmingham. I mean, it is it is madness when you put it in those terms. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I used to have a client, Bangor University. And I could fly to Morocco and back <laughs> in the same time it took me to go to a meeting. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's just one of the very, very many challenges of Welsh rugby. Indeed. Uh, what, what, what do you think the future is for um, for the Italian teams? Because this is my this is this, this is my other bugbear. Yeah, I think it's, and it, you know, yet again, that's another wider issue. I think if you look at the Italian teams in the Pro Twelve particularly Zebra. I mean, that hasn't worked out at all. Um, mm. Treviso at times have been competitive enough, you know, as competitive as the Newport Gwent Dragons. But it, yeah, as you say, as an overall project, it hasn't worked. Similarly, now I think you, we're starting to see that with Italy in mm. the Six Nations. I mean, that worked for a while in the Pro 12 and in the Six Nations. I mean, Italy have been competitive in the past. But they aren't this season. They really aren't. And I, I suppose it's 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 where you draw that line about increasing participation rates in rugby, particularly in Europe. And then that draws in, you know, Georgia. You know, you look at the World Cup rankings now. Italy are ranked 14th. Georgia are ranked 12th. And I don't think anyone's suggesting if, if Georgia came into the Pro 12 with 18 or into the Six Nations with their national team, that they'd be competitive. They wouldn't be. They'd be absolutely blown away for about four or five seasons, mm. but it's just a matter. It's just a matter of what is the role of the Six Nations and the Pro Twelve? Is it does it have a development role or is it purely elite? Yeah, well, and I think that's where that decision needs to be taken. I think with the Italian teams, I think personally they'd be better off in Pro D two in France, so they'd start off in the second division in France. I mean, it just everything. It solves so many problems. Really you know, the travelling, the cost of you know mobilising those squads. You're just hopping over one border. Yeah. Uh, well, so yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to consider, and it, of course Italy have got a big stake in the Pro 12 of a commercial venture. So yeah, well, I mean, I think it goes further. Than that. I think the Pro 12 is struggling to really establish what what its role is and what its identity is. I mean, it started off as the Celtic yeah, League, yeah. and I think I think it should go back really to being a Celtic League. Yeah, indeed. But of course, you know, the, the obvious solution to this, even though it would be a nightmare to get sorted, is a British league. Uh. I mean, that is that is the way to fix it. Ideally, it would be a European league. Yeah. Just have a three-league system. This, you know, be done with the Heineken Cup, uh, the Heineken Cup, Challenge Cup, and um, the Champions Cup. And just merge it into one big super league, and that—that's the way to do it, and sell it to one broadcaster, 
who get the key right, and then the rest get the scraps. The regional broadcasters then would pick up, you know, games that, you know, the the big guys wouldn't want the Welsh games and the Scottish games or whatever it might be. That's the ideal solution, mm. and I think if anyone can actually pull that off, they'd probably, you know, be the most deserving person of, of praise in rugby uh, after um, Webb Ellis himself. Yeah, I mean, I I actually do think that some sort of uh, divisional structure might you know conference structure might be a good idea i tell you what isn't a good idea though this idea of expanding over to the united states i think it's ludicrous where, where are you standing on this it's i mean i think it's an un- it is an unusual decision and i appreciate that but i think the pro 12 is in a situation where it needs to consider everything mm. i think five years ago if you'd have told a super rugby audience that there'd be a team in japan and in Argentina, they'd probably have scoffed. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they'd said that that the you know that the the travelling times to Argentina with, with you know the Jaguars and up to the Sun Wolves, and you know maybe they're right, and that league probably has diluted too far. But you know these decisions they aren't made like I was sort of alluding to earlier. They aren't made with five years in mind. They're fifteen sort of twenty-year plans to expand the game. And they, you know, they're looking at putting a, a franchise in Fiji. I think a Pacific Island team is a must for Super Rugby. Yeah, um, I think just once they've got the stadium to be able to cope with that, I, I, I think that's the the way that it has to go. I, I'm not sure whether New Zealand and Australia were particularly keen on that, but um, I, th- I think that's the way to go. Yeah. So with regards to the, the Pro 12 expanding to America. You know, you know, you just look at Los, you know, the Jaguars and the Sun Wolves, and that could be a similar, a similar situation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe, maybe all right. I, I tend to think it might be a step too far when they, when they struggle to play team teams in Italy. But I'm happy to be proved wrong. Uh, before we go, Paul, give me a, a prediction for the Wales Scotland game, and also tell us, tell me and the listeners where we can find you on Twitter, social media, and all the rest of your work. Right, Wales Scotland. I think I think it's going to be a fantastic game, uh, and I think firstly Wales are going to have to score three tries to win that game. I don't think that's a game Scotland remind me of Wales in two thousand and five. Yeah. So they don't rely on penalty kicking. They don't rely on set piece. They counter attack fantastically well. Their, you know, their 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 pack is solid, but not solid enough that you can dominate in the scrum and line up for eighty minutes. But they're lucky they've got a backline rammed full of ballers. And that backline's got at least two counter-attacks in it every game. And, you know, at least two tries from counter-attacks is what I mean. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a very tight game. I think Wales will win. I think Wales will win by sort of three to five points. But I, th- I think the key fixture, as, as good as that will be, I think France-Island will also be a very good game. I think France have come on considerably under Guinovez. Yeah. I think his uh, selection of players has, has been very consistent. I think the drop-in of Bastaro and some of these players who weren't really cutting it at test level, in my opinion, I think they've um, they've they've progressed well. So yeah, so I think Wales by five to three. I think Ireland by sort of eight points. England by probably the biggest winning margin ever in the Six Nations. I quite fancy wow. England about seventy past. Italy. That's that's a great. Yeah, call. I think that's going to be. I think that's going to... Yeah, I genuinely do think that... that I mean, England now, I think they'll, they'll walk tries in in the last 20 minutes. Italy won't be able to cope with that. Yeah. Uh, sadly, you might Sadly, you might be right. And where can we get you on social media, Paul? You can find me uh, at the 
Paul Williams on Twitter. Um, and I'm on there all the time tweeting nonsense. Excellent. And uh, and and you writing? Oh, and writing. Uh, write, I write for uh, Rugby World magazine, and there'll be the Wales Scotland write up up on Monday morning. Fan- fantastic. Highly, highly recommended. Thanks for coming on, Paul, and hopefully we can have you on again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan. Huge thanks to Paul for doing that. Really appreciate it. Great guy. Uh, go find his stuff, Rugby World Magazine, and at the Paul Williams. You can find us at the Rugby Dungeon, me at Jay Beardmore, and of course there's Egg Chasers at Rugby Podcast. Next week, well, it's hard to know who we're going to get. Um, I've got about five guys lined up, uh, and one of them is a particularly large name. I'm not going to commit to it now, but uh, watch out for next week. going to be very, very good. Okay, uh, until next week, see you then. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 